0: Today's scripture lesson is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and I'll be reading from the message. I, Paul, have been called and sent by Jesus, the Messiah, according to God's plan, along with my friend Sosthenes. I send this letter to you in God's church at Corinth, believers cleaned up by Jesus and set apart for a God-filled life. I include in my greeting all who call out to Jesus wherever they live. He's their master as well as ours. May all the gifts and benefits that come from God and the master, Jesus Christ, be yours. Every time I think of you, and I think of you often, I thank God for your lives of free and open access to God given by Jesus. There's no end to what has happened in you, It's beyond speech, beyond knowledge. The evidence of Christ has been clearly verified in your lives. Just think, you don't need a thing. You've got it all. All God's gifts are right in front of you as you wait expectantly for our master Jesus to arrive on the scene for the finale. And not only that, but God is right alongside to keep you steady and on track until things are all wrapped up by Jesus. God, who got you started in this spiritual adventure, shares with us the life of our master, Jesus. God will never give up on you. Never forget that. The word of the Lord.
1: Friends, this morning when we were sharing at the beginning of our service uh, where we sensed God, I, I didn't share my own response to that question because I knew I would be sharing it in the sermon. I have had a profound sense in the last few weeks of the Spirit leading me, and I know it's more than just me, uh, leading us to really engage some of the wisdom of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Corinth. Now, I have, I have um, not really preached much on the epistles. I usually feel like God is leading us to unpack the gospels because there is so much there for we who are trying to follow Jesus that um, there's, there's just, I'm, I'm so moved by that story, but I'm feeling the prompting of the spirit guiding us towards the wisdom that Paul gave to Corinth and to us. And I trust that it's for someone here as well or perhaps for someone who's worshiping with us online. And if nothing in the epistle speaks to you, just tune me out, pick up the Bibles in front of you, and pick a good scripture. There's plenty of good things right in front of you. I have learned recently that those churches that are in the liturgical tradition always have Paul's letter to the church in Corinth during the season after. Epiphany as a preparation for the season of Lent. The church traditionally during Lent has been a time of catechism, a time of teaching, a time of welcoming new people into the Christian faith and preparing them for baptism, which would traditionally be done at midnight at an Easter vigil. Epiphany was a time of the church really trying to get its house in order and reminding each other of what this is all about before we welcome others in to prepare them through teaching uh, and preparation for baptism into the church. In some ways, it's the church's way of recognizing we have issues we need to take care of. We need to clean our own house a little bit before we invite company in. Those of you who are hosting epiphany gatherings know what I'm talking about. When when we hosted our epiphany gathering, our parsonage never looked so clean. We really need to have you all over more often. The purpose of the letter um, that Paul was addressing is he was saying, okay, church, yes, you've learned some things, but there's more. What you learned in Sunday school is not enough. What you learned when your heart was on fire for the Lord is not enough. There's a maturing that needs to happen. And Paul was saying to the church in Corinth just because you feel saved by Christ doesn't mean anything goes. It was his way of saying, yes, we're saved, but there is a response to that. There is a way of living that comes out of that. There are some boundaries that need to be placed so that we can remain faithful. So it was encouraging, it was also a corrective, and Paul was also specifically naming certain divisions that were happening in the early church in Corinth, naming them and giving them a way forward. We who are United Methodists know that divisions are happening even in our own denomination. And Paul has something to say that may encourage us. He begins by saying, I, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus... Now, then and there, he's getting engaged in one of the church fights that was happening at the time. People were arguing over who's an apostle and who's not an apostle. And as the Spirit has always done in every season of the church, God, through the Spirit, is always challenging the church to widen our interpretations of who's included. Always God is widening our understanding of God is at work. The traditional understanding of apostle was there were twelve, that's it, no more. Jesus called twelve people, end of story. Twelve apostles, the rest of us are disciples. Paul is redefining that by saying, I, an apostle of the Lord. Now, everyone knew that Paul was not one of the twelve. But, he experienced some bright light that is beyond description, heard the voice of the risen Christ, met the risen Christ, even in his blindness, and he's saying anyone who has met the risen Christ is an apostle. Do you see how he's redefining the traditional term and claiming it for himself? The early church would continue to grow in its understanding of apostleship to include all who met the risen Christ. And do we not all as followers of Jesus meet the risen Christ every time we come to worship? We are an expression of the risen Christ, the risen body of Christ. The early church began to realize that an apostle was one who was sent one who was sent to cross boundaries, to cross borders in the name of Jesus. And thank God for those who heard that call and claimed that gift, because if they hadn't, we wouldn't be here. Christianity never would have left that small group of churches in the Middle East and in what is now Turkey and what is now Greece. Greece. If there weren't people who claimed their gift of apostleship, we never would have heard about the good news in Jesus Christ. Now, this weekend is Martin Luther King weekend. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King celebration, and there are events throughout the country recognizing Dr. King's wisdom and his call for the healing of our nation and the healing of the world. Um, And I commend tomorrow as an opportunity to practice apostleship, to cross a boundary somewhere, to cross a border somewhere, to engage someone who looks different than us, that thinks differently than we do, who may be of a different understanding of the world, who may be of a different political party, who may be of a different race, or tribe, or status, because God is still calling us to be apostles who go across borders into a territory that may be unfamiliar to us, so that bridges can be built, so that relationships can be forged, so that trust can grow. Tomorrow, I know that there's an opportunity at the library here in Chatham, where kids are going to be gathering to make luminaria and draw on the luminary bags ideas, images, that come from Dr. King. I'm going to be down there at 10 o'clock for a brief word of encouragement to the young people who are doing that and then people are going to put the luminaria out tomorrow night in front of their houses as a witness to say we value the vision of Dr. Martin Luther King. But the opportunities won't stop there. For those of you who are going back to work on Tuesday or going back to school on Tuesday, there are opportunities to cross borders and boundaries in the name of Christ to build bridges in your offices, between cubicles, up and down school hallways where people may be in tribes of exclusion. What if we entered this week, each one of us, with a sense that God was calling us to cross borders into a new territory, a different territory, a territory that was foreign to us, but called by God to represent the Christ. That may be with words, that may be without words, but to look with the eyes of Christ for opportunities, for healing, for bridging, for reconciling, For building community. If we went into our world this week and our workplaces and our families and our neighborhoods with that heightened expectation that God may be calling each of us to be that person, that apostle, I'm convinced that God will open doors that we don't even see right now. One of the motivators of Paul to the letter in of the church in Corinth was to heal divisions and he actually names some of the divisions which I'll go into a little bit later in the month, but there's a sense of tribalism and he's addressing some of the immaturity in the early church. Realize that he's just figuring this out. He hasn't gone to Drew Theological School to figure out ministry plans. He's working this out on the fly. And he's responding to letters he's getting from Chloe's people. That's one tribe. There were other tribes. And he's recognizing, oh, this church in Corinth has taken the first step, but there's other steps they need to take. They have gotten into the the language of Christ, but they have not fully matured in Christ. And he is writing... To them, encouraging them to not spend too much time on deciding who's in and who's out, who's more gifted than others, who's got it and who doesn't have it. He's saying that game is not necessary. We're all in Christ. And he says to the church in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ, called to be the saints, together with. All those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how he's trying to frame his language into, not I language, but we. We are all in the same body of Christ. And then he says, You are not lacking in any spiritual gift. In other words, one gift is not more popular than another. One gift is not more valuable than another. God loves all people, uses all gifts. I'm reminded by that wisdom. If it's not good news for everyone, it's not good news. (laughs) If it's not good news for everyone, it's not really the good news of Jesus. So some of the gifts that the early church claimed, and I made a copy of this so that if you want to look this up in various scriptures, in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians, uh, various parts of 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians, these are the gifts that the early church recognized as happening because of our baptism. We're going to be baptizing Addison Fend at the 11 o'clock service. And when we baptize babies and we pray the Holy Spirit work within you, that being born through water and the Spirit, you may be a faithful disciple of Jesus, we have no idea how the Spirit will respond. We have no idea at that time what the gift is, or the gifts, plural, that the Holy Spirit has given that child. And I know that even in adulthood, we are still learning what those gifts are. And the Church of Jesus Christ, we are charged to help identify those gifts in one another. Now, we've been using these gifts all our lives. We may just not know and recognize that these are God-given gifts. Let me read to you what the gifts are that the Spirit opened the early church to see. The gift of prophecy. That's not foretelling the future. It's seeing things the way God sees things and recognizing there's a disconnect with the way we're living in our society. From which we get the word a prophet. Pastoring, teaching, encouraging. I sense there's a lot of people in this church here in Chatham that have the gift of encouragement. And I've seen it work in one another's lives. The gift of giving. There are some people in this congregation who have the gift of giving. They give generously because that's who they are. Because that's the spiritual gift that God gave them. The gift of compassion. The gift of wisdom. The gift of knowledge. The gift of faith. Friends. Faith is a gift. I don't know if this is going to shock you, but not all Christians have the gift of faith. And there are some people outside of the church who have the gift of faith but don't know it and walk through life with a place, from a place of trust. And there are Christians, good church-going folks, who are so scared that they have no trust, no faith. It's a gift. We don't need to blame ourselves for not having that gift. It is a gift that is given to us. The invitation God gives us is to use that gift and to live into that gift and to unpack that gift. Some have the gift of healing. Do you know anybody that has very warm hands If you do, you may have the gift of healing. And the early church recognized that gift. They would practice the laying on of hands. They would put their hands on someone who is sick and also someone who is troubled. Someone who is anxious. And they would just pray silently that God would flow through their humble hands. If you have hot hands, pay attention. Use them. Use them. Let God use them. Some have the gift of miracles. They see things that God does that are beyond description and beyond reason. Not everybody has that gift, but some do. Some have the gift of discernment, the gift of being able to discern what God is doing in any particular situation. Some have the gift of tongues, and if there are people in that congregation that have the gift of tongues, God always gives the second gift, which is the interpretation of tongues. Some have the gift of apostleship, the calling to cross borders in the name of Christ. Some have the gift of assisting, working behind the scenes, quietly doing ministry that no one would got, but God knows. Some have the gift of leadership. Some have the gift of evangelism. It begins here, but it doesn't end here. Perhaps if you really want to know what your gift is, pray, Holy Spirit, show me what gift I might have. If you want to talk with me about it, I'd be happy to have some conversation. Maybe we meet someplace for coffee or tea and have conversation about the spiritual gifts and what may be your gift. The Board of Ordained Ministry of the Greater New Jersey Conference meets to discern whether God is calling certain people to certain expressions of ministry. And we spend an inordinate amount of time reading people's paperwork. It's voluminous. We spend days visiting them in their churches, discerning how the Spirit is working in them, in their congregation. We spend three days of a retreat interviewing them on their biblical understanding, on their preaching, on their understanding of pastoral care, on their understanding of United Methodist history, polity, doctrine. It is an exhaustive process, especially for the candidates. But we have had discussion about the spiritual gifts that God gives that start at people's baptism. And this is a group of maybe 40 or 50 clergy and lay people who believe in the sacraments and believe that there is power in the sacraments And we believe that no matter who people are, if they are baptized, they've been given certain gifts by God to use to build up the body of Christ. Now, that gift may be pastoring. The Board of Ordained Ministry has decided unanimously in previous years to not ask any candidate their sexual orientation or gender identity We don't ask the question because we are sacramental, because we know that the Holy Spirit has done something in their lives through their baptism. And who are we to doubt that or to question it or even to revoke that gift? If a person has the gift of pastoring and then they grow up and discover that they are gay or lesbian or transgender or bisexual, does God take that gift away? Does God nullify their baptism? Of course not. And how dare we, as the board of ministry, ignore a gift that has been given by the Holy Spirit if they are called to be pastors? I close with this. It's a story about Will Willimon, who was the dean of the chapel at Duke University. Have any of you, no, I see a couple of Duke graduates right back there. You've been to that chapel. It's a beautiful sanctuary. It's very impressive. Was Will Willimon, was he there when you were there as a student in the 80s? Okay, so you may know this person that I'm going to talk about. I don't know her name, but just picture one of your classmates. So one of one of the things that Duke uh, chapel would offer as a cross-cultural experience of going to somewhere in Central America, maybe it was El Salvador, to introduce Duke students to base communities, Christians who were meeting in El Salvador to study the scriptures. They were in poor, poor areas of the country, but they were deeply faithful, and Will Willimon knew These bright kids at Duke need to get out of this bubble and get down to El Salvador to see what true Christianity really looks like. One particular young woman on that experience felt God move in her life. She was so moved that she decided to change her major from pre-med to social work with a minor in religion. Well, at one of the... um, Parents' weekends, I think the next year, Will Willemond was greeting people at the back of the chapel. People were coming by and saying what they say to pastors, but one particular parent greeted Dr. Willemond with this vitriol and anger and was yelling at Will Willemond, saying, You are responsible for making my daughter change her major from pre med to study sociology or theology or I don't even know what, but she was going to be a great doctor and it's your fault because you took her to El Salvador and you showed her something that moved her and it was a tirade. Will non-anxiously said to this man, did you have her baptized when she was an infant? And the father said, yes. And Will said, don't blame me. (laughs) Friends, God has been doing something in each of our lives from the moment we were born and from the moment we were baptized. And it's a gift that God invites us in every age, in every season, to unwrap and to discover what God has for us. Whatever that gift is, it is good. It will be challenging. But it will ultimately lead us to joy. May it be so for you and for me and for Christians throughout the world.
0: Amen.